Welcome to the Canacuck Podcast. We hope you'll be encouraged to have an I'm Third approach as you navigate family, leadership, and spiritual growth. If you're new to our conversation, welcome. It's so great to have you. Let's jump in. Welcome to the Canacuck Podcast. My name is Shay Robbins, and I'm joined today by my teammate, co-host, and tree enthusiast, Joe White. Shay, thank you for that introduction. I am the camp tree hugger. I love trees. When I was a little kid, I would go out into the woods and I would dig up little trees and I would transplant them into our lawn in our little Texas house. And I have continued my quest to plant as many trees on this earth as I possibly can. And then I just love them as I watch them grow. Joe White, the tree guy, an arborist. A little known fact here, I have a degree in environmental horticulture. And Whoa. Yeah, yeah. I, I devoted, uh, you know, piles of money and years of my life to trees. And when I walk around with Joe, I'm just shamed. I'm just shamed by my lack of knowledge and attention. <laughs> so it's good to have you around, Coach. Thanks for keeping me sharp <laughs> and humble. <laughs> Hey, we uh, two weeks ago, we talked about overcoming fears as a leader, and today we're following up that topic. Today's podcast is titled, Leading Your Team Beyond Their Fears. The first step is recognizing our own fears and overcoming them, and the second step is recognizing our team's fears and leading them beyond. Joe, who yeah, do we have Shay, our guest today? I want our listeners to hear the word beyond. Beyond is a great word after facing thousands and thousands of challenges over the years. There's hope in the word beyond, and I hope our little podcast today will bring you hope uh, literally way down deep in your emotional heart as you face the challenges and fears of life. Uh, besides our precious co-host, uh, B.A., Bethann, uh, we have a special guest named Connor Wilkins. Now, the married dude. I just noticed there's a new black band on Connor's left hand, and all of us around Canuck land are thrilled with the lady that God has chosen as Connor's helpmate. Her name is Rachel, and she is synonymous with the word sunshine. When that dear lady walks in the room, the room brightens about 13 degrees. She is really a fabulous person and a perfect mate for uh, Connor to spend his life with. Connor himself, Shay, is very admired and respected around K-Land. We looked at many applicants to find a young director to work with Matt Houston in the leadership of K-1. And I'll never forget interviewing Connor. He was overwhelmingly the pick for that job. He's a a uh, snowboarder. He's a wonderful worship leader with a really great, compelling voice. But his best skill is picking a wife. Meet Connor. Nailed Amen. it, bro. Way to go. Amen. Best thing I've ever done. Best <laughs> thing I've ever done. Thanks, Coach. So we got Beth Ann and Connor. They're teammates at K1. They're my former teammates, which makes me a little sad, actually. It does, but it's good to be back together. It it's is. True. We got it the band good. back together, yeah. which is so fun. And I laugh because the three of us have overcome some fears <laughs> together, really right? We we spent the COVID years That's together. Right. We've been in the trenches together. Man, what a blast. Let me lead off with this question. 
Have you guys ever had to lead a team beyond their fears? Shay, my body is like tensing up thinking about (laughs) this particular story. And so let me set the scene for you, okay? It's a Wednesday night at K1, which for our boys camp is traditionally tournament night. So on that night, they usually are eating outside of the dining hall. They're having a picnic meal, you know, if they're doing flag football, Uh, wiffle ball. It's awesome, right? It's amazing. It's awesome. And so I'm in the dining hall. It's about 5.55. Boys would normally eat at 6 o'clock. So I'm hanging out with our kitchies. We are prepped for girls' meal, which is in about an hour. We're early. Like, everything is great. We're having a fun time laughing. We're, we're so proud of ourselves that we're so prepared for girls' dinner, which is in an hour. I look to the doors, to the entrance of the dining hall, and up the stairs are all of boys' camp. We have had a mistake in communication. Yes. And the boys are not having a picnic that night. Yes. And so we have (laughs) five minutes to set the tables, fill pitchers of drinks, to set tables, get food out. And mind you, we have only prepared enough to feed half of camp. And so we serve out everything that we've made for girls' meal. And then in the back of the kitchen, we've got directors. We've got leadership team members. We are working as a team to make as much nachos as we can within minutes. More nachos because not only are we now serving hungry boys, but we've got girls coming in after that. So, you know, there were moments where I think... The kitchen staff just thought, should we just walk out now? Like, there's no way we're going to pull off, you know, getting enough food ready by the time girls get here. But, man, we pulled together. We rallied. And it was in that moment that it was like, okay, we just got to react. We got to lead up. And we just got to do everything that we can do. And it ended up being a really fun night. It was the greatest meal ever. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, great. That is a great story, Bethann. So fun. Connor, coming to you. Let's get practical here, bro. I'm torn. I've got two different stories. The you made me think of one is similar, actually. Normally, when we do uh, meals like that, our tournament night, we'll always bring out the grill, huge, massive grill that I think Shay you got for K1 a couple of years back, and it's mm. massive. The leadership team gets on there. We'll kick. We'll cook dogs, burgers, but it all hangs of like we have outside picnic. Everything's out there, and we're grilling like underneath, no covering, just in a grill and. We're probably like 30 minutes. The grill's lit. It's ready to go. We're about to put hot dogs on. And off in the distance, looking over Tandy Como, come some dark clouds. And the, the guys are still up in the cabin. We haven't made the decision yet. But our leadership team is down there. And we've just put like the first round of meat on. And we're trying to make an executive decision here. Like, do we, do we push through and just, and just hope that it's just going to sprinkle and pass? Or do we just call it quits now, take all the meat up to the dining hall? But it was hard because once we put the meat on, like there wasn't like we can't just put the grill up. We made the decision that we were going to push through. Yes. So we thought, hey, this one, summer, we're making memories. We have the leadership team out there. And the rain came. And I, don't, I wasn't there when, when Noah was there building <laughs> yeah. the boat. But I could imagine that it rained like that. It was raining upwards from the ground as well as from the sky. <laughs> Um, and we were getting destroyed and like the burger, like we had dogs that were just like in water. Soggy dogs. Yeah. They were soggy dogs, soggy burgers. So we have to take all the meat that we have run up to the dining hall. We left everything that was down there. We just had to like throw it all in the back of the truck. I walk into the dining hall and Matt Houston is in the back of the kitchen, apron on like flipping burgers. He's like got these techniques that he's showing the guys on the flat top and he's just making it work. And the guys, we were too, we were too soaked 
to be able to go into the dining hall. And so we sat outside on the porch and ate soggy burgers while the rest of the kids got to have a normal cooked meal. And so it was insane, uh, but it was a memory for the books and the guys we, we improvised, adapted and overcame. It, it right. seems that all our fears are connected to food in the dining hall. <laughs> we had a lot of bodies to feed, Bethann. Bethann, let me adventure with you about 20 layers deeper. Okay. As a grandpa, when I take my granddaughters to K-1, the kind of care that you and your fellow director, Melissa, show each camper is comforting and honestly astounding for me as a camp director. You have hundreds of girls there, ages 7 to 13-ish. It is a monstrous job to do that kind of work that you do there. A few summers ago, you faced an incredible challenge as one of the directors of K-1. How did you overcome the fear? You did it. You did it. We watched you do it. And I've got this lump in my throat when I think about how you came back from a monstrous challenge. What was your challenge and how did you overcome the fear? 2017 was my very first summer at K-1, and I had been at K-West and Camp Out and first summer and about two to three days before campers arrive, I get a phone call that my brother's in the hospital and he's probably not going to make it um, much longer and I need to come. And so I leave camp, you know, days before campers come and um, get to spend about the last week of my brother's life with him, just getting to usher him into the presence of Jesus in the hospital. We get through the funeral and it's now been about two weeks. And then I'm faced with the decision, what do I do now? I remember having a conversation with my dad in our living room. We're standing next to our piano and I was crying and I just said, Dad, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go and lead and try to, you know, run camp and figure out this new role as a director. Like, I just was fearful. I was scared. I was anxious. I was grieving. And my dad looked at me and he said, Bethann, do you trust me? And I said, yes, I do. Again, through tears. And he said, so get back in your car and go to camp because God's not done yet. So I did. I got back in my car. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done, but I look back and I'm so thankful that my dad told me to go back and to face what was now the reality of my life, of getting to learn what does it look like to continue forward even when you're scared and when you're grieving, you're hurting, and when it feels like this is way too hard or way too big. And I got to experience God's power and God's grace through just the Holy Spirit daily giving me what I needed just to, to wake you, up and you, to show up. You and your brother were very close, weren't you? We were. Yes, sir. Describe that. Yeah. You know, I always thought of him as he was really close in age. We were two years apart. So we shared a lot of friends. In fact, we shared so many friends that sometimes when my girlfriends would come over, they'd want to hang out with him. Um, and I was always a little jealous of that. But Nathan was, uh, he was so fun, so full of life, so fun to be around. And even in the the months and weeks leading up to, um, you know, him going home to be with Jesus, we'd had some really sweet, intimate moments and um, had gotten to walk through a lot of life together. And so, yeah, he was a he was a dear, dear brother and dear friend to me. And so you said goodbye and you got in your car and you drove into those gates to That's lead right. the staff with 
Melissa, what was that like? Well, and I should add, there's another part of the story, Joe. So while I was still home, I get a phone call. And another job was calling with an offer to join their team. And in the moment, I'm like, this is awesome. Like, maybe this is the answer. Like, I don't have to face everything back at camp that feels so big and so overwhelming. Like, I'll take this other job. I'll just get through the summer. And then I'll have something new and different to get to step into And now I realize that would have been, had I made that decision, it would have been completely out of fear and, again, not wanting to face the challenges that I saw stepping back into camp as a leader and a new director with everything that was going on in my personal life. But I'm thankful God called me to stay um, and to stay put at K-1. And I know that he would have, had I made that decision even out of fear and disobedience, God would have been faithful um, to still use it. But um, what I found going back to camp is I felt the support of my director team, my leadership team. They created space and margin for me to do as much as I could, as much as I wanted, but so much grace for like, hey, And so, B.A., as the staff and you walk through that fear together, because obviously when those girls came out of their cars and off those buses, you were a director. Yes. What was that like developing teamwork with your staff and and, and as they watched you overcome that fear that summer? I think I just had to be really transparent, Joe, and really honest and just show up as authentically as I could and just to communicate, hey, this is really hard and I don't have all the answers. I'm figuring out this journey of grief while also trying to lead. And so I was very honest and very transparent and tried to allow people into my story. But then I also just had to rely on other people. I had to be okay with letting others step up and maybe step into a role that I, you know, quote unquote, should be doing or when I should have been up front, letting someone else do that for that term or for that summer and um, just relying on teammates just to help carry me. So I had to very humbly just admit I'm in a really hard place, um, but I want to do this well. I want to steward this season well. So I tried to be very open just with where I was at in the process and my story and allow people in, but also just very humbly had to rely on others and accept the grace and support and to not be super hard on myself. You know, we, we should ourselves a lot. I should be doing this. I should, I should, I should. And I just kind of had to rest and accept God's grace and the grace of others. And then how did the Lord flood your heart and give you the strength and power to take those precious girls that walked into your camp and to treat them each like they're the most important little girl in the world? How did God give you the power and grace? I think when you experience, uh, loss like I did, it it gives you a a different perspective. And so everything became even so much more important to me that every little girl and camper that I got time with got to be a moment of just intentionally loving them, pointing them to Jesus. And I can even remember, Joe, it's crazy how the Lord does this, but there were kids that summer who had lost a parent or who had lost a sibling. And somehow we got linked up and we're sharing our stories together, you know, me as a young 20 year old and maybe with a young nine year old girl. And so just I felt God's redemption in those moments of already seeing 
him work through what was, you know, at that time, one of the hardest seasons in my life. And again, it is only by God's power, um, the Holy Spirit that indwells believers that honestly gave me the ability to to show up and to embrace each girl um, that I got the opportunity to. So I'm just thankful that's a perspective is a gift that comes from, you know, suffering hardship or walking through fear and anxiety. And so just that eternal perspective of I've got today um, to love this little girl and meet her where she's at. Beth Ann, thank you so much for sharing that part of your story. Between you and Jimmy and Kara from our last episode, we've established that Leaders aren't perfect, and leaders have fears and insecurities as well. Well, so do our team members. And so I want to bounce over to Connor and ask the question, how do we go about learning and understanding what fears and insecurities our team is dealing with? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Uh, it's something, Shay, you had mentioned, you know, as we walked in here of, of culture. I think, like, I mean, if, if I'm on Beth Ann's team and at the beginning of the summer, I, I sit down in front of her and I get to hear her testimony from 2017. The last thing that I would feel was an inability to be able to share my fears. And so I think just like even sitting here, like listening to Beth Ann, like my, my, the spirit is just like moving and like revealing within me ways. And like, I'm learning more about myself and just like feeling even like prompted to like want to share in response, just mm-hmm. organically, just through getting to hear Beth Ann's story. So true. And so I think as a leader, like, I've been in positions where I've led in a space where the goal of the group or whatever it is, is like this idea of success and like success being defined by like pleasing the leader. And I think that can create like an inability to, to be broken or like inability to like express any like shortcoming. And so basically I have to like build myself up to like impress those around me so that I make sure that I present myself as enough. And so I'm constantly trying to like, I'm enough, I'm enough. And like doing that by like presenting this false sense of who I am. So I just think as a leader, it's so important. Like I know with my guys, before we even start the summer with our leadership team of 10 guys is as a director team, like sharing our insecurities, sharing like our fears before we step into the summer and to like help them see that like, if we're going to do anything as significant, like we cannot have these walls up around one another. Like if this crew, like this is our central circle of how we're going to be successful on mission for the Lord at camp, like this crew has to be able to be comfortable and safe with one another. And so I think just the word of like safety is super important to where like the ultimate goal is not success at K1. Like that is not our goal. Like it's our goal is the gospel and our goal is intimacy with the Lord. Like our goal is to be near to the father. And so if, like, I want my teammates to feel comfortable that like that I, that that's my goal for them too. And so that they have the ability to like bring forward things that like in a normal situation might feel like too vulnerable, but it's through that, through expressing that, that they realize they're in a room full of people that are sinful and that we only have one common denominator. And that's like, we, we need the grace of the Lord. Like we need the gospel. And that's like, even just as I was preparing for talking through this of just like, where is the gospel amidst all of this? And like, Beth Ann beautifully just like talked about the goodness of the Lord through his sovereignty and so many different things. So I think really just like setting the culture for your team and be able to create that. And as like Beth Ann beautifully did of like, you have to set the tone yourself first and foremost, if you want to ever lead anybody there on your team. And I'd also add that these principles apply to secular business culture, teams, organizations, et cetera where a leader creates a culture 
where it's safe not to be perfect. And what that does is it it allows for people to be real and authentic. And as a as a leader, you know, your heart ought to be like, I want to help the people on my team succeed and thrive. And if I don't know where their difficulties, struggles, fears, and insecurities are, how could I possibly help them? If I didn't know that, it'd be me leading them blind. And so I think it's a really important thing to establish right off the bat. I'll throw this out to the three of you, Joe, would love for you to chime in. What are some of the fears that your team is likely to encounter? Like what, what are they? What should you be looking for as a leader? A big one is just the fear of failure. And I think we can connect this back to kind of what you're saying and creating a safe environment. As you lead a team, there needs to be a safety net knowing it's okay if you fail. We learn from failure. We're not going to be perfect. As a leader, we're constantly having to make decisions. And sometimes we look back and we think, oh, I wish I would have made a different decision there. But we also get to learn from those decisions and then move forward. And so, you know, a lot of times as I'm working with one of my my girls and maybe there's a fear of failure, the next question I ask them is, hey, what's the lie underneath that? It's really not that they might fail that task, but that they might fail me as their leader or let someone down and that people's opinion of them might change or, you know, something to that effect. And so there's always more layers, you know, behind that fear of failure. So kind of digging in, asking the next question, well, why do you believe that? And then, well, let's put some truth on that. I can remember one time, again, we're going back to the kitchen, but I remember one of my DHGLs, she was incredible. And I was encouraging her and just thanking her for her work. And she was just discouraged. I'm like, hey, what's up? She's like, I dropped a pan of chicken tonight. And I'm like, she was just feeling, you know, like a failure. And I'm like, hey, worst case scenario, like what's the worst that could happen from that? She's like, well, we would maybe have to like, pull out something else from the refrigerator or serve a few more peanut butter and jellies, you know, and it just, she was so caught up in the, what felt like, you know, the one thing that she did wrong that she couldn't even see all the other amazing things that she had accomplished with her team that day. So again, I think it's really important as we establish this environment of safety that we allow people to know, hey, it's okay if you fail here, um, because we're going to learn from it and we're going to be your teammates and be here to kind of pick you up and, um, and move forward together. That's good. What else? Kind of touching back on on what I initially had stated of just like what the you know the dangers and also the beauty of like getting to be a leader is like the culture that you create. And so I think there's just like legitimate fears like based on their perspective. Like if I'm leading in a way with my team where when someone falls short, like I'm passive aggressive or like make tone like with my tone or how I like my body language or how I respond to different things that they do you know, that can then create within them like legitimate fears based on perspective. And so one of the things Matt Houston does an incredible job of, he's always challenging me in the summers of what is it like on the other side of you? Mm -hmm. And so whether that's, you know, how I'm leading in the summer of like when I'm doing certain things, like, is there anything that I'm doing that like is creating within my team legitimate fears or just the nature of the job, legitimate fears? So I think just being able to just accurately assess with within yourself, but then like inviting your team in, like, how can I invite my team in to, to critically give me feedback of like, what is the environment that we're in that's creating these fears? Or like, how am I as a leader, like creating these fears to where if whether it's failure or anything like that, they're afraid 
um, to bring that to the light. I would add this too, is that your team has a different perspective, right? They're, they have a different set of realities that they're closer to than you are as a leader. It's important for the leader to allow them. They, they are the expert on their set of circumstances and their role. And as a leader, you need to allow the expert to educate you. What are the legitimate issues that you need help with? How can we help you overcome them? And what that does is it creates good communication where you can help that person succeed and apply resources. And trust that you're you're interested in, in listening. And I ask my girls all the time, I'm like, what do I need to know that I wouldn't know? Because I am a little bit maybe removed from being as in the trenches or on the grounds in certain areas, sure. you know, of camp as you are. And again, I think that just communicates that you care um, when you listen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'll add one last one and then we'll jump to another question. I also... And Bethan, you kind of touched on this, but I really think that there's a lot of fears that are based on wounds from the past, Mm -hmm. where someone will do something that perhaps won't make sense, and it could be frustrating as a leader, like, why did you do that? Well, that's actually a good question. It is. You just got to give it the right tone. Tell Tell me why you did that. What was your thought process? And I've discovered on so many circumstances that somebody makes a decision based off of a wound or a hand slap that they received 10 years ago. And they have been making this decision based off of that wound. When you're armed with that knowledge, then you can help heal up that wound and say, hey, you know what, that that may have happened then, but I want to give you full reign to make wise decisions and, and to free them up from that wound, which is a really cool opportunity for a leader. So good, Shay. I'm just thinking too of, of moments of my young years at camp when I was just a college staffer. And again, just when I assumed certain things to be true about people, but then when I learned more of their story and I was able to see the dots, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm so aware of our sin and our quickness to, you know, just not believe the best and, and listen to people. So it's super important. Okay. We're going to get really fun here. So once fears are recognized and on the table, how do we lead our team beyond their fears? What does that look like? How do you as a leader rally the troops and climb a a mountain, a scary one, and overcome an obstacle in front of you? What, What would you guys say? So Shay, I can't wait to do this this summer. So if you're my staff and you're listening, get ready. Um, I heard this from somebody else and I can't wait to put it into practice, but they were talking when one of their teammates comes to them with a a problem or a fear or something they don't exactly know how to handle. The leader's response is, how exciting. (laughs) And looking at them and saying, how exciting. What do you think you should do? I think a lot of young leaders that we work with, they're terrified of making the wrong decision. That's another fear, right? Of right. what if I make the wrong decision and I, I I don't do what I should do, but letting them kind of verbally process, hey, what do you think you should do? Walk me through that process. Why do you think that? And then, you know, we get to allow them some room to run, but also get to coach them and say, hey, I love what you said here. Let me add this. Or why don't you also think about this? So don't step in too quickly. Give them space to use the brains that God has given them and to problem solve a little bit on their own. And then you get to come alongside and coach and maybe help them see and poke some holes that they may not have come to on their own. I love that, Bethann. It's good. One of the things that I think, and this is something that we've talked about a lot at K1 this past summer with our spiritual theme is like the climb. Like I think a lot of times when we think of adversity and or just when we think about success, we just think about the mountain, like being on top of the mountain. 
in the view and taking it in. And so I think just knowing too, as the leader, like the climb is, is the fun part, like getting to climb and getting to like go in the trenches with your team and experience hard is like what makes it to where you, you can have a better view, a higher mountain the next time. And so being able to endure hard as a team and just giving them perspective, like the, the, the climb is fun. If it's just about the mountaintop, we're going to spend about five minutes at the top of the mountain. We're going to spend about an hour, two hours, three hours climbing a mountain. And so just getting your team comfortable and familiar with the joy that isn't like on the other side of hardship and of challenge and of just the frustrations that come with being on a team and working towards a mission. Like that's a good thing. Sure, I was meeting with a basketball team this morning, a little, little camp basketball team that travels the, the country, and we've been so proud of them. They're uh, number one in the nation, number two in the nation, and I was talking to them about influences in their life, and most of them talked about a mom or a grandmom. You know, being a mommy is a courageous leader. Being a grandmommy is a courageous leader. Being a dad is a courageous leader. Being a uh, a Christian in a suite of four uh, college students is a courageous leader. Most of us don't like to look at ourselves, well, we're a leader, but we are. As a Christian, we're a leader. To answer your question, I think about Joan of Arc in a story I heard one time. You know, Joan of Arc was the patron saint of France in, during the Hundred Year War with England in the late 1300s and early 1400s. And with her courageous heart and with her sacred sword in one battle, she is remembered by saying, uh, as the, as the, you know, the, the musket balls were flying overhead and the cannonballs were smashing into the, into the soldiers in the army, she said, let's go over the wall. And somebody screamed at her, you know, don't go over the wall. No one will follow you. And she screamed back at the dissenting voice. And she said, I'm not going to turn around and look who's following me. I'm going over the wall. And, of course, France went over the wall with her and turned the war around because of her courage. And I know as a parent through tears, looking at a budget that seemingly impossible to overcome, or a college student as a Christian, seemingly impossible to overcome the language and the drinking habits of others around you in that dorm or that fraternity. And I think of young executives like Beth Ann after her brother passed away facing her job. But that courageous heart they see in the tears, Mommy, it, through your tears, they see a sparkling in your eye of courage, I know we're going to go over that wall. And as you go over that wall, leaders, your team sees this mysterious, spirit-filled thing about you that with God, all things are possible. And the team wants to follow you. Your, your children want to follow you as they see your courage through your tears, the sparkling of your eye. God's got this thing. Hey, kids, I, I don't know how we're going to put this meal together tonight, but I'm telling you, God's got this. God will provide, and they'll grow up as like these basketball players that we work with who believe God's got this because Mama said once upon a time back there, son, God's got this. Joe, I'm reminded of, as we look to Scripture, every leader, whether you're Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David, Paul, God gave them 
missions to do that probably felt impossible and that were filled with challenges and hardships personally. And then also as they led God's people, yet God always promised, but I'll be with you and I'll give you the power to do so. So really it's remembering, hey, look back at all those examples and we serve the same God today who's going to be with us. That same God still living inside of you, believer. If I could just would love to just read, I mean, literally you saying that and you saying that, Joe, Hebrews 12, one through two, uh, a lot of what you talked about, like we are surrounded by such a great cloud of people that have gone before us. And so it says, let us also lay aside every weight, every sin, whether that's fear or whatever it may be, lay it aside and cling that wants to cling close to us. And then instead, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, not looking to myself or my own strength or anything like that, but it says to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured something way harder than we ever have or will, but the cross, despising shame and any sort of fear that could ever hold him back. Uh, and now because of that, he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So for the joy set before him, he endured. In closing, I'm gonna, I've got a summation of bullet points to answer our original question. This is what I hear you guys saying about leading your team beyond their fears. Number one, celebrate the challenge. Number two, develop a plan together. Number three, get in the trenches together as the leader, be there with them. Number four, make adjustments along the way by listening. Number five, Invite God into the process. And I even in the secular environment, we can cash in on godly wisdom, prayer, and Holy Spirit power. And then lastly, I think this is the, a great one to tack on. Develop an appetite for doing hard things by highlighting the joys of overcoming as a team. We want to thank our guests today, Beth Ann and Connor. Thank you for being here with us. You guys are such a blessing. And we want to thank our listening audience for taking time with us today. We hope today's conversation serves to fuel your I'm Third approach to family, leadership, and spiritual growth. And with that, we'd love to pray a blessing over you. Father, we come to you today and we, um, we rejoice in the leaders that join us listening to our broadcast, and we bless them in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would give them wisdom and courage to lead well. I want to pray that they would be the kind of leaders that are excellent listeners and create a culture that is uh, healthy and vibrant and not afraid to do hard things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope today's conversation left you encouraged, strengthened, and empowered. If you haven't had a chance, please subscribe to our podcast today to stay up to date with the latest episodes. If this podcast has helped you in any way, please consider rating us, writing a review, or sharing it with others so we can continue to build you up with an I'm Third approach to family, leadership, and spiritual growth. For more information about the podcast, visit canacuckpodcast.com. And for more information about Canacuck, you can visit canacuck.com. Mm -hmm.